Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. You work hard at the end of the week, your boss doesn't say, here's a favor for the 50 hours you did. You'd say, favor nothing, that's an obligation, I earned it. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. As we pick up in our study of Romans chapter 2 in a message entitled, The Judgment of the Respectable Sinner, Pastor Brogy shares by illustration the fact that although we may be able to escape certain judgment for crimes on earth, there is a certain judgment that no sinner will escape. The Bible says it is appointed for a man to die, and after this comes judgment. No matter how slack you may be in this life in keeping appointments, I can promise you there are two appointments you're going to keep. One is death, and the other is the judgment of God. Now some people argue, well, God is too loving. God is too kind. God is too understanding, too forgiving to judge me. He understands my weaknesses, and God is going to let me off. And so they reason somehow they can sin with impunity and get away with it. And they create a God in their own mind, in their own image, like Rob Bell has done in his best-selling work, Love Wins. And he emphasizes verses like we're reading today. He emphasizes verse 4 where he speaks of the kindness and tolerance and patience of God. But he ignores the other attributes of God Almighty. Very often I've heard liberal theologians quote Psalm 103.8. Listen, you take a verse out of context, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. The Bible says there is no God, but contextually it says the fool has said in his heart there's no God. You take Psalm 103.8 that King David wrote out of context and you distort, distort what God is like. The Lord, David writes, is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And that's where they stop, and they don't read the next verse. The next verse says, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Or to say it differently, there's coming a day when the patience of God will run out. The dam of God's compassion will give way to, to His fury, to His wrath. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, to twist God's word, to manipulate what has been revealed about God's character in the Bible is blasphemy. It is to impugn God's character. And it's not faith, it's presumption. Now understand what this verse teaches. It speaks here of God's riches. I have it underlined. God's kindness. God's tolerance. God's patience. And what is all that for? To lead you to repentance. The blessings of God are, are to give you space that you might change your mind, that you might repent. It's not to give you space to sin. And some people think the absence of problems and the blessings of God in their life means everything's just fine. They say, I must be living right with God. No one in my family is sick. I must be right with God. I have plenty of money in my pocket. I must be right with God. I'm not feeling any pain. It doesn't mean necessarily you're right with God. Jesus said he causes his son to, to, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous. 
and the unrighteous. God in his mercy will very often express his blessings on a lost world to get them to repent. The kindness of God is designed to lead you to repentance. People often think, well, God has to make the bottom fall out to bring me to repentance. Sometimes he does, but very often God tries to win you with his kindness. And the kindness of God should lead you to metaneto, a change of mind. It should lead you to metanoia, repentance. And so the first principle I want you to see is that God's judgment is inescapable. Secondly, if you're taking notes, think about this, that God's judgment is without inequity. His judgment is without inequity. That means simply it is fair. God will be righteous when he condemns a person forever and ever and ever into a place called hell. That's the thrust of verses 5 through 11. Verse 4, Paul teaches the kindness of God is designed to help you to make a decision. But according to verse 5, to presume upon that kindness is nothing more than what he calls stubbornness and an unrepentant heart. Look at verse 5. But because of your stubbornness, an unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Paul here speaks of the day of wrath and revelation. That's future, what he calls in the book of Thessalonians, the first book, his first letter, the wrath to come. There's a future time when Jesus will suddenly show up. It could happen today and it will be too late for some of us. He will suddenly show up like a thief in the night, unannounced. And he, when he comes, he will come not as he did the first time, as a suffering servant, but he will come as a sovereign judge. He will come as the lion of the, of the tribe of Judah. And when that day comes, he will mete out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior. And the Bible says these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Ionion. Eternal. The same adjective that is used to modify the eternal God and the same adjective used to modify eternal life. For Rob Bell to say that hell is not forever and ever and ever is to deceive a multitude of people. It is forever. It is eternal retribution. Now, we saw in Romans chapter 1 about a present dimension of God's wrath. Remember that? The wrath of God that is being revealed. 118, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And that's when God lets a sinner go. Your heart is convicted of a sin. And you feel the guilt of that sin. But instead of responding to that conviction, you ignore it. And you ignore it. And you ignore it. And your heart becomes calloused and insensitive. And God lets you go. He gives you over to a reprobate, to a depraved mind. And then a good conscience is substituted, the Bible says, with an evil conscience. A conscience that calls good evil and calls evil good. And so God makes it very clear that while there is a present dimension of the wrath of God that is being revealed... Here in this chapter, unlike chapter 1, he's talking about that future dimension of God's wrath that is yet to come. Just like for some Christians, they are storing up, laying up treasure in heaven. Even so, there are some lost people who are storing up, laying up wrath of God. As the believer can have an eternal bank account, the unbeliever likewise can have an eternal bank account. One pastor told me years ago about a farmer in Nebraska 
who in his unbelief took great delight in farming on Sundays. Some of his acreage was right across the street from his church out there in the country and he would plow his fields and plant his crops and irrigate seven days a week. And he took special delight when the church was meeting and gathering to run his tractor right in the plot outside the church with the muffler off. And in arrogance and in pride, he would watch the crop grow and finally he had a bumper crop of corn and he wrote a letter to the editor one September and he announced, there is no God, there is no such thing as the wrath of God. I've made more money this year than I've made in my entire life thanks to the fact that I grew this crop and I harvested it. And one wise Christian wrote back to the letter to the editor and said, God doesn't settle all of his accounts in September. <laughs> Listen, there are some people who think, well, God hasn't done anything to me bad yet. That just mean, must mean that everything's okay. Listen, while there is a present dimension of God's wrath that most unsaved people don't even see, they are totally blinded to it. What they do confuse is the future dimension of God's wrath that is yet to come. And they say, there's no pain. There only appears to be blessing. I'm having a good time. I'm partying. I'm celebrating. I'm having illicit relationships. Everything's fine. And what they don't understand is that God's wrath has not yet come. God has not yet settled his accounts with the unbeliever. Understand, God deals differently with his saints than he does with lost sinners. God deals with his people on a cash basis. He deals with the lost sinner on a credit basis. When a child of God disobeys the Lord God, if he's truly a child of God, he'll be disciplined by God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, quoting the Proverbs, for those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines. One way to know that you are a child of God is when you sin, you can't get away with it. When God saves you, he doesn't make you so you can't sin anymore, but he makes it so you can't sin anymore and really enjoy it. And so for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And every son whom he receives, he scourges. And God has a thousand and one ways in which to discipline his people. He knows how to ring your bell, be it financially, relationally, physically, spiritually. You know, when my children were growing up in my home, I never once thought about disciplining the next door neighbor's kid because he wasn't my child. God only disciplines those who have been born again, who have received the power the authority to become what they weren't before, a child of God. Those whom the Lord has this special affection, what Paul called in Romans 1, his beloved, he disciplines. So he deals with his own people on a cash basis, but he deals with the lost people of this word on a credit basis. God ultimately has not yet settled accounts. And so today we have these atheists and agnostics who are all over the internet, who are blasting themselves on television, and they think they're so smart in denying God's existence. We have beer executives, especially at this time of year, who are enticing millions of college students when they go to uh, their spring breaks. That we have all those seductive entertainers, either through pornography or through swimsuit issues, who laugh at Christianity, who mock God, who ignore God's standards. And they think they're getting away with it. The fact of the matter is, is that their crop is not yet fully in the barn. 
And so the seductress corrupts a person who corrupts another person who corrupts another person and their work of the harvest is still at work. Listen, you can take a single grain of corn and that single grain can produce a, a whole stalk with five ears on it. And in those five years, there's hundreds of seeds. And within those five years, there's acres and acres and acres of corn. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Whatever you sow, you are going to reap. But God cannot fully judge the lost man yet. Why? Because he's treasuring up wrath. And God is waiting until the last period and the last sentence of human history is completed. And the, the, the seduction, the, the, the sin that you sowed in this life and the influence you had on others until it's all over. And then God brings people before his judgment. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't you realize that the kindness of God should lead you to repentance? But, look at verse 5, but... Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see that word stubbornness? It comes into some of our English translations as hardness. It's the Greek word sclerates. Uh, we had a member here years ago with scleroderma and her, her, sin, her, her skin became as hard as a rock. We, we talk about arterial sclerosis. When uh, your arteries begin to, to fill up and clog with calcium and cholesterol, well, just like your arteries can become hard, your heart can fill itself up with sin and guilt and become insensitive before God. And by ignoring God's grace, by hardening your heart, Paul says here, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. And so to demonstrate that God's judgment is without inequity, he now enlarges on this expression, the righteous judgment of God. And he begins to state the principle on which this wrath is based. Follow carefully. Look at verse 6. He quotes Psalm 62.12. It's quoted over 40 times in the New Testament. He said, A day is coming when God will render to each person according to to his deeds. Now some people will say this is a contradiction in the Bible. In fact, that was one of the contradictions listed on this list of 194 that that individual gave me. They say Paul is contradicting himself. He's just said in Romans 1. He will say again in Romans 3, 4, and 5 and in other places of the epistle that salvation is by grace, that it's not earned, it's not by works. But here he is teaching in Romans 2 that salvation is by works. And then you have those people who say it's not contradictive, it's just supplemental. They would say, well, we're saved by grace and works. Faith and works are necessary to save us. That it's a combination effort between God and man. And what they fail to understand is the context of verse 6. The context is not salvation. The context is judgment. It is not that lost people are saved by works but they are judged according to their works. That is a plain principle that Paul is going to affirm here in the book of Romans. 
Turn the page, would you, to Romans 4 for just a moment. I want you to see that Paul is a crystal clear thinker. When he comes to verse 19 of chapter 3, he's going to say, This gospel that I preach, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, is not something that I invented. It was taught in the Law and the Prophets. It was taught in the Old Testament. And then in verses 21 to 28, which is the heart and soul of the book of Romans, what most would consider to be the most important paragraph in the book of Romans... He is going to show that it is totally of necessity by the grace of God. And then when he comes to the fourth chapter, where I've asked you to turn to, he's going to show that, again, it's something that is taught in the Old Testament. And to highlight that truth, that we're saved by grace apart from works, he takes two Israeli giants, two men that the Jews greatly respected. One Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, the progenitor of the nation of Israel, and the other King David, a man after God's own heart. And he shows through both men that they are saved by grace apart from any works. Look at 4.1. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And then he asks the question here in verse 3, what does the scripture say? And so he's going to quote Genesis 15, 6. When we come to this section, I promise you we'll probably spend an hour on it. It's a very important section of scripture that he is quoting. But just hold in your mind the truth that is taught here, that Abraham was saved by faith apart from any works. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited, it was reckoned to him, counted to him as righteousness. So having stated that fact, he then draws a principle from the quotation in Genesis. Look at verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due? You work hard at the end of the week, your boss doesn't say, here's a favor for the 50 hours you did. You'd say, favor nothing, that's an obligation, I earned it. To the one who does not, to the one who works, he says, his wage, his paycheck is not given to him as a favor, but what is due. What the King James says, an obligation. But by contrast, to the one who does not work, his wage, to the one who does not work, his wage, excuse me, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. The one God credits as saved, the one God credits as righteous is one, the one who does not work. Listen, if this morning you are trying to work for your salvation, you are bringing some thread of righteousness in yourself and you are saying the atonement of Christ is not sufficient, that you have to add something to what Jesus called finished. And two, you're basically appealing to human goodness. And God doesn't save that kind of person. God saves the person who does not work, who believes himself to be ungodly, and he puts his faith in the God who has provided a savior. So Paul very clearly teaches that. So how are we to understand Romans 2 and verse 6 when he says that God will render to each person according to his deeds? Remember when we studied Revelation 20 on the first Sunday of this year? Let me refresh your mind and dust off your minds with that truth. John, he is dealing at the end of time when all of lost humanity is gathered before God at the great white throne judgment. And he said, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to the things which were written in the books. How? According to their deeds. And then in verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every one of them. How? According to their deeds. Now if you remember, death here is a synonym for the grave. Death has the body, Hades has the soul. If you're lost, your body is placed in a grave. But the real you, the soul within, if you are lost, immediately goes to a place of torment called Hades. It's not the final resting place of the lost, but it's the temporary place where you immediately go immediately after you die without Christ. Just as there, it, it, it's, a, it's a jail kind of for departed spirits. Just like a, a man may await his final trial and he's in jail, locked up. Even so, lost people are in this jail of sorts, the negative side of Sheol, Hades, where he is awaiting the final judgment of God into the lake of fire. And so Paul, John says in verse 12, twice over, that they are judged according to their deeds. And then he says it a third time in verse 13. Again in verse 12, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, how? According to their deeds. What does that mean? It simply means that God is keeping a record. Everything you do, God records. Every thought you think, God writes down. Every word you utter, God puts it down in indelible ink. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Paul will later tell us here in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 that God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. There are things that nobody else in this world knows, but God, he wrote it down. And before this great judgment, there are many people who probably thought they got away with it. Before they went into Hades, or those who were taken off the earth and right up into the judgment of God, there are some people who thought they got away with it. But be sure of this, the Bible says, your sins will find you out. Do you remember what Jesus said in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? I tell you that every careless word that people speak, even their words... Every careless word people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Think about that. Words of profanity, words of judgment, words of gossip, words of deception, words of exaggeration, all of it. Nothing that is covered will not be uncovered. It is all going to be exposed at the judgment seat of God. And so he mentions, John does here in the Revelation, some books. It's plural, it's biblia. He's not talking about a single book, though he will change that in a moment when he speaks of the Lamb's book of life. But he's speaking of these books, scrolls or books. It comes directly, biblia in our language is Bible. And it's going to be a horrifying discovery to some people that every evil work they have done, thought, or, or even thought about doing has been written down by God. Every one of them. In fact, uh, I have underlined in verse 13 in Revelation 20 the word everyone. It's the Greek word ekestos. Very woodenly it means each one. See, sometimes people think there's just this mass of humanity and God says, but the judgment is personal. God in his omnipotence, in his omniscience, judges each and every single one according to their deeds.
Jesus spoke prophetically in Matthew 16 when he said, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and will repay every man according to his deeds. Exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans 2.6. When God will render to each person according to his deeds. Now remember that future courtroom that's described in the Revelation is not there to determine if you go to heaven or hell. It's not like God has this big scale as the average pagan thinks where he puts the good deeds on one side and the bad on the other. And if the good outweigh the bad, God says you made it, come on in. No, very clearly in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, Everyone, without exception, is cast into the lake of fire. And yet they are being judged according to their deeds. Why? For two reasons. First, because the Bible teaches that a man's deeds will show or prove whether or not he's ever been born again. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace alone. But the grace that saves is never alone. And the sad thing is, just as Jesus prophesied would happen at the end of time, men's hearts will grow cold. The church will fill up with tear as well as with wheat. Why? Because after the church is raptured, there is coming a great apostasy. An apostate is someone who says, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. And they've walked up to the edge of salvation, but they've not stepped into the kingdom. And then when Jesus comes for his church and God begins to unfold the great tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come and the apostasy is going to take place. It's articular in 2 Thessalonians 2. There is an apostasy going on now, but there is a coming apostasy. We're in a worldwide way professing Christians will renounce Christ and give allegiance to Antichrist. Paul in Titus 1 and verse 16 speaks of those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. There are lost people who say, I'm born again, I'm saved, but their life denies what they say. You say, well, I know a lot of lost people who do a lot of good things. Sure they do. For the glory of men, for the praise of self, for the appeasement of a guilty conscience, but not for the glory of God Almighty, not out of a grateful heart for the blood-bought atonement of Jesus Christ. Some are doing deeds because they're trying to earn a righteousness before God because they are unwilling in their pride to humble themselves like the publican in the temple who was so ashamed he didn't even look up into heaven but said, God have mercy upon me, the sinner. God knows what sinners are doing and God is writing down every single deed in his books and so Paul says they are judged according to their deeds. Number one, because their deeds give testimony to whether or not they've been saved. And number two, God judges men according to their deeds because it's based on their deeds that God meets out punishment in hell. For a copy of today's message from Romans chapter 2 entitled The Judgment of the Respectable Sinner, visit our website at searchthescriptures.org and using the browsing tool under the resources tab, choose the book of Romans. Be sure also to check out our Search the Scriptures app available through the iTunes store and Google Play Marketplace. And of course, you can always call us at 877-787-7478 and request a CD or DVD copy of any of Pastor Brogy's messages. Tomorrow we conclude our look at the judgment of the respectable sinner. Join us then as we search the scriptures. How to prove the Bible is true. It's a question people have. 
It's a question as Christians we need to be able to answer. I've written a new book by that title where we walk through infallible proofs to show that the only book God ever wrote was the Holy Scripture. And this month, out of appreciation for those who would give to search the scriptures to keep us on the air, a gift of any amount will allow us to mail you a free copy of How to Prove the Bible is True. You can call 877-STS-7478 and give through one of our volunteers, or you can go online and click on the donate button at searchthescriptures.org. And when you do that, we'll mail you out this free copy. We hope it will encourage you as you seek to share your faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for those who participate and those who are helping to keep this ministry on the air in your area.